you have reached the voice mailbox of Game Thing Season 4 Horror. You have 17 new messages. Tuesday, the 14th of February at 11:55 a.m. Hey buddy, it's Pippin calling David. I have picked the next game for our horror conversation and it's Resident Evil 4. Uh, which was developed and published by Capcom, released in 2005 originally. Um, I intend to play the HD remaster that was released in 2014, high-resolution, muddy brown palettes. Here we come. It's also getting a remake, which is due out uh, later this year, I think even in March, so quite soon. Uh, Just like Alone in the Dark, it's the fashion right now. Um, I know Dead Space got a, a remake as well. And I think in my deep past, I did play this game a tiny, tiny little bit, but so little that I can't really remember anything about it, except that it's brown. And I chose it because, I mean, I guess foremost because it's iconic. I think it's often regarded as sort of the best Resident Evil game or like the best survival horror game of this kind. Um, this kind being, you know, third person perspective, you've got a gun, you shoot people who are in your way who are monsters. Uh, and it's from a storied franchise. I actually am more familiar with Resident Evil via the, the sort of not great movies, um, uh, rather than the games, but I, it'd be nice to rectify that. And I'm also interested in this because it's the kind of game I don't really play. Um, certainly not anymore. I, I just don't really do games where you've got a gun and you're going to use it a lot. I don't mind a gun, but it's the thing where that, you know, your main activity is is shooting people out of the way that I don't do so much. And I kind of want to run toward my discomfort with that uh, because I think the game creates a kind of tension for me. Uh, on the one hand, I feel like I... I feel like it won't be scary because it's so repetitive and it ends up feeling like... You know, it's just about shooting a bunch of, of creatures out of the way. Um, and that in the wayness is kind of what diffuses some of the, the potential scariness for me, I think. It feels very gamey. Uh, but then on the other hand, I know that I find games like this really stressful. Um, and that's something I want to explore as well, because I am scared of being stressed out. <laughs> I don't need it, David. I don't need it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I also listened, I should say, to a really excellent series on this game by the Dev Game Club podcast guys, Uh, and they talked a huge amount about how the game is constructed and its position in the kind of pantheon of of influential games. And so I'm also just curious uh, to see what we can get out of it, given it's been done so well. So plenty of uh, reasons to play this game. Um, Do you have any relationship to this very famous game, David? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tuesday, the 14th of February, at 2.56 p.m. Hi, Pippin. This is your work wife, David Wolinski. Happy Valentine's Day, sir. So, Resident Evil 4. Let's see. Um, My history with this game is typical of games that came out at the time. So, it first came out in 2005, which is parallel to, or just as my time with the Onion... Uh, and help getting their se- game section going um, was, which means that unless I was getting paid to play something, I probably wasn't able to devote much time to it. 
um, which means also through the years I watched as I was sent copies of Resident Evil 4 as it was brought onto other consoles, which means I managed to probably get about 20% of the way in, or I think more like 90 minutes in before inevitably life intervened. So up front, my goal here will be to get past that point, and I think I'll be able to do that as we're playing through together, separately but together. Um, and I think the farthest I ever got in Resident Evil 4 was on the Wii, um, which should date all of it a bit, but after 2005, I know ports of it came out in 2007, 2009, 2011, 2016, and 2021, and of course the remaster next month. So other than that, you know, a little bit of trivia I can share is that I once, in the course of work, wrote an email to Capcom asking what the green herb in Resident Evil is, asking if it was marijuana, and on April 11th, 2012, I got an email from Capcom saying, unfortunately, the green herb is not a specific real-world herb. It is a healing device created for the Resident Evil universe. So in other words, uh, it's definitely marijuana, and that's just, you know, why I win the big journalism awards. Uh, other than that, other than that, I believe in Resident Evil 4, there isn't so much shooting, but you definitely have a gun, and it's more about, as I recall, managing limited resources. And we should also say Resident Evil gets a lot of credit for taking the baton from Alone in the Dark and running with it, and that game was in 1992, so this is a 13-year jump we're about to um, discuss. And I've always thought of the series, these big games, as sort of artisanal amusement park rides. So lots of set pieces that are distinct, big chances to exhale, big chances to hold your breath. And I think I played it on the Wii specifically because I remember aiming in this game was so quote-unquote odd, where it's a bit like dragging a dying mouse around. And I don't know. We'll play, we'll talk, we'll get into it, we'll laugh, we'll scream. We will be one with Resident Evil 4. See ya. Wednesday, the 15th of February at 10.24 a.m. Morning, David. I entered the famous, I suppose, village in Resident Evil 4 last night and made a bit of progress through it. I, I have shot and slashed at and kicked a whole lot of farmers on their land. Um, because the basic scenario is, as we get into this game, I, sh I should say, is that we're looking for the president's daughter. We are assigned to protect her, but she's gone missing. And she was kind of last seen in this area for some reason. And this involves going into this territory of agricultural workers who don't want us to be there and try to kill us on site. And I was going to say that they're not zombies, they're people, but their heads kind of explode when you kick them. And that suggests they're not maybe <laughs> maybe not quite made of the same flesh and blood as as, as you and I are. Um, so maybe first things first, just because I've, I've played a bit and I've, I've wandered around in their village and killed a lot of them. A scare check. Well, definitely I've been stressed out and maybe arguably scared while playing. I think the farmers, you know, they're scary because they're trying to kill me. They've got axes and pitchforks and knives and they use them on me or try to. And that's not 
that's not nice and it's scary that someone would try and do that. There's so many of them. Um, that's really scary. That's alarming. I got cornered by them at one point and they just, you know, destroyed me. And they also scare me because of the controls. Um, you know, as you said, the aiming mechanics here are difficult. Your gun sight wavers a lot. And the movement controls are tank-based controls. So you rotate in place and then walk forwards. Uh, and it's quite difficult, or I'm finding it quite difficult to orient myself relative to the farmers. Uh, and one, I think, really nice thing about the farmers is they, they kind of scare me because they seem to be doing pretty normal stuff if I'm not there, like pitching hay or working in the fields or wandering around their village. And that's nice, right? That's nice that they have a life outside of trying to kill me. I mean, it's not nice, but it's, it sort of suggests a little bit more of a well-rounded personality than, than monsters often have. So good work there, clearly uh, designed in ideas. Uh, but the game currently also doesn't scare me because it's such a video game, right? Uh, it's got checkpoints, so when I died, I was just reset a little way back to try again, which turns a lot of the combat um, into a puzzle as to how you're going to do things, and we should talk about how you do effectively kill these people. It has save points. Um, the, they're interesting because they're the typewriters, so they're located in space rather than a menu. Um, and it just has that sense, right, of a game where your objective is to go through a space, killing everyone and getting all the stuff and then keeping on going. And as a story, that doesn't scream horror to me. Um, how's your bucolic adventure going, David? Wednesday, the 15th of February at 12.30 p.m. Quick, in that cabin! <laughs> Wednesday, the 15th of February, at 7.12 p.m. Bucolic is one word for it. Uh, mainly the experience in Resident Evil 4 getting going again, and as I was insistent on doing, getting past where I have historically. Um, it's been hell. Um, not in an altogether unpleasant way, but just realizing how unrestricted we've been in past horror games we've played. Um, just the experience of movement. I mean, we talk about aiming, but just moving around in Resident Evil 4 is like a major thing to probably talk about early um, before we sort of get desensitized to it or just sort of like adapt. Um, it, so it's a very weird game because this is a game that feels like an arcade game um, where you're sort of strapped in right behind your character, the well-quiffed uh, Leon S. Kennedy. And I think this sort of existing as hell is maybe as it should be. Um, there's this need to stay constantly aware of all of your surroundings, even though you can't look around very easily. Um, and there's a whole button uh, dedicated to turning around instantly. Um, not that it really does you much good or helps you much. Um, and sort of the way this is telegraphed is another moment that feels important, which is early on you're walking along the road and you have an opportunity to help a dog, um, which is usually not a verb I think of when approaching a horror game is like, you know, usually it's about survival, and so you have this option 
um, do you want to free this dog? And I opted to, didn't know why, didn't know what was going on. And I realized, like, my bet is the dog comes back later, but I realized, like, the dog is there to sort of teach you that there are traps and to be aware of your surroundings. Uh, Not that it helps much, because in my own clunky ambling around the environment, um, I walked right into the bear trap (laughs) that the dog was in, and I had to help myself. Um, But I think, you know, that in a way, like... I don't know. There's, there's, there's so much more I can say, and I have a feeling there's just going to be repetitions of this sort of stuff going on later. Um, so I'll just leave it there, and I will press farther ahead than I've ever gotten in Resident Evil 4. You're going to be so excited at all the newness that this old game has for me. Um, happy Trails, where are you at? What else are you noticing? What have we been taking for granted from other horror games, Pippin? What's new here? The shock of the new. All right, this is David. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thursday, the 16th of February, at 4.07pm. Hi, David. Yes, the movement is odd. Yes, we should definitely talk about it before it becomes all too normal. I'm not enough of a historian of games in general or this genre to know whether this was kind of normal in 2005 or whether it's a tribute to the traditions of the Resident Evil franchise. I know the first game I had these controls too. Or whether, frankly, they view it as an integral, designed-in part of the horror experience of the game. Uh, these are all possible. All of them are possible at the same time. But um, as discussed, so it's tank controls, uh, which means we rotate in place and move forwards and backwards based on that, uh, which is not how humans move, generally speaking. Wobbly, wobbly gun sights. <laughs> oh, uh, importantly, you cannot move at the same time as aiming your gun. And you can, as you said, whip around suddenly if you need to. I didn't actually know about that until you mentioned it. It's somewhat useful. And one other notable thing that's, that's related to movement is the context that you see it in is, as you said, you're looking at the back of Leon's head and his beautiful hair um, and his right shoulder. And... All of this together, your body and your body's ability to move, has a lot of knock-on effects uh, that are relevant to the horror experience. So Resident Evil 4 doesn't use a fixed camera like Alone in the Dark did, but Leon's massive head and shoulder take up, I think, about a fifth of the screen a lot of the time. And so he's kind of like this really inconvenient piece of furniture blocking your view at all times. (laughs) Uh, He blocks his own view, which means that you can't see things that you would like to see. Uh, and then the movement itself, right, the the sheer kind of labor of even turning 90 degrees left or right is, is pretty agonizing when you would like to kind of do that and quickly shoot a farmer in the face before they pitchfork your face. Um, it feels kind of inexact, like you're going to overshoot uh, or you're not going to get there in time. Um, it doesn't feel like your body, body horror. Um And yeah, sometimes it feels too fast when you're not in combat, so I sort of spin around to look around, but the motion blur invoked when I turn often makes me wonder if I missed some farmer in the middle distance who is um, coming towards me just because when you turn, it's a bit harder to see what's going on. And it doesn't help that everything is brown, of course. And then all of this is in tension, I think. You know, this awkward, clumsy movement and vision is is in tension with the underlying narrative that Leon is this kind of 
fairly accomplished operative who can spin kick people's heads off and should be good at this stuff, but somehow it's very clumsy. Uh, and I wonder why. Uh, but I'm making progress. I dodged a boulder, more weird movement stuff with uh, quick time events, killed some dudes throwing dynamite, found a wardrobe with something pounding on the door from the inside. <gasps> Friday, the 17th of February at 12.43 a.m. So I'm no expert, but my memory of when this came out, the big things people wanted um, out of console hardware, out of video games, um, and it was all about pushing pixels, right? How many polygons? Um, and so there was a big obsession or fixation at the time with like, how many bad guys can we have on screen at the time at the same time? Um, and I remember there being a lot of reaction to Resident Evil 4, people being pretty mad, aghast at, why can't I move and shoot? And um, also people calling out for just the ability to sort of strafe or move from side to side. Uh, it's sort of, I mean, it's more maybe like you're a game piece <laughs> more than an action hero. I mean, there's that clueless gamer um, with Conan O'Brien where he surmises and, and observes about another Resident Evil that, like, you're playing as this huge hulking action hero, but he is just um, stopped dead in his tracks by a, a kitchen table. Can't move around it, can't go over it, and yet we're able to hop around, uh, um, you know, leap down off of buildings if we feel like it, or come crashing through windows if we feel like it, and be basically fine. So, um... You know, I think, like, what's coming to mind for me with Resident Evil 4 is, you know, I think at the outset, I don't know if we've ever actually said this on mic, um, but I think we were interested in both, like, small scares done well in horror, but sort of developing a bit of a taxonomy of scares. Uh, your phrase, not mine, so of course you can elaborate on it, and so sort of reviving some of my memories, talking to some of my other friends who all played this at the time. Um, there's sort of a consensus that Resident Evil 4 is not scary. Um, it's more spooky. And the game is sort of a bit like, you know, like it's toying with you, like you said, like with the knocking coming inside of the cabinet, which turns out to be very much a, uh, uh, not a threat, um, the rest of the time, it's just like you're you're in a shooting gallery in a party city or in a Halloween store. And my experience with most of these sequences with all these bad guys on screen is it's a bit of a comedy of errors. Um, there's a lot of these guys that chuck dynamite at you, and usually they wind up sort of killing themselves or they kill others who are coming to kill me. Um, so not much of a threat being posed, and yet... So much of the game so far is punctuated by this, you know, very intense music, pounding sounds, noises, enemies all coming to swarm at you, and then it lets up, and there's this sort of, okay, all clear, you're fine, it's silent, and I find myself, like, every time that happens, I'm asking myself, like, why do I trust it? Why do I think I'm going to be fine? I know it's going to happen to me again. Friday, the 17th of February, at... 1.07 p.m. Why do we trust the silence? 
It's a great question, and I think probably the answer is because this is a video game, and it's a gamey game. It's a gamey game, game, game. It is one of the qualities, I suppose, of many games, especially AAA games, that they want you to feel as though you're in safe hands and that the experience is fair and reliable. Horror is a, is a really interesting genre for that reason, because I think it has more reason than most to play around with that idea. But I don't think that Resident Evil 4 is interested in playing around with it. As you said, it's, it's a little bit more like a, a theme park ride. The music, I think, is pretty fascinating because it isn't even scoring what's actually happening from your perspective. It's actually scoring what happens from the perspective of the enemies, I think. So it sort of it plays the dynamic music if the enemies know you're there and you know are wanting to kill you, whether or not you can see them and are aware of them. So it ends up being this sort of extrasensory perception that you have um, where you can be aware of the fact that there are threats without knowing where they are. Um, the world might look safe, but you know that it isn't. And the game does lots of stuff that says, I am a gamey game. Um, it's part of why it's it's fun to play, you know, breaking barrels to get power-ups, um, finding these weird treasures that are just arbitrarily stuck on walls or inside closets, shooting medallions out of trees for a collection minigame, etc. All of these things, you know, as well as being an entertainment, are effectively saying, don't worry, this is not a real situation. This is arbitrary and strange. And so the horror gets, you know, distanced in that way. Um, but then I do think that the way that the game, the way that the game scares, if we're wanting to taxonomize, is about proximity and closeness. It's it's related to the hitbox horror idea I had with Who's Lila, right? Like, it's all about not wanting people to be close to you, and that it you know, that emerges from the fact that the enemies, generally speaking, don't have guns while you do. So there's this asymmetry where they're trying to get very close to you, and you're trying to stay away from them. So it's kind of it's kind of like a horror of personal space, right? They get too close. Um, you're like a germaphobe or someone who doesn't like hugs at a family reunion, and that's what you're grossed out by. Um, and the bear traps are like that too, right? They get too close to your feet, and then they snap closed, and so you're scared of not being able to see your feet and to see them coming. So that's the body horror here, right? It's an invasion of your personal space. <laughs> Friday, the 17th of February, at 3.37 p.m. It's funny that you say the music is from the POV of the enemies, because playing as far and as much as I have, I've sort of been observing, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, walking into the bear trap that I knew was there. Um, it feels like you, as the player character, are just barely able to navigate this world um, any better than the enemies that you're meant to be mowing down here. And if there's a horror here, it's the horror and fatigue that sets in of the impossible task of knowing you must constantly be on your toes. Um, and I think the biggest thrills, the biggest scares are about the order of operations that Resident Evil 4 instills in you, makes you aware of as a way to keep on your toes, i.e. enemies that are going to throw axes at you or dynamite at you, maybe fend them off first, uh, 
Um, or you can also be extra, extra on your toes and uh, do as I have sometimes without really meaning to stop an axe in its tracks with your gun before it hits you, but it's just close enough to see that you've done it. Um, I think that's what they call a freebie in the trades. Um, but, you know, in this order of operations, uh, there's an interesting thing that happens with the enemies and the way that they also keep you on your toes aside from closing in on you, which is every now and then they do something to surprise me, uh, which is, you know, an enemy will suddenly duck to the left um, very, very uh, dexterously or its head will explode and you sort of aren't prepared for that. And you're like, oh, well, what's going on here? This is another thing I sort of have to get acclimated to. Um, I think in a way that's like the biggest fear element, um, just trying to expose to your, you to yourself, teaching you just having that constant awareness. So I don't want to repeat myself further, but I will say, you know, something about the arcadey nature uh, teaches you that in a way, death is part of life here. It's sort of nothing to fear. Like, I don't really feel like you're getting penalized too much. Uh, and I can't prove it yet, but I think Resident Evil 4 is doing a bit of this thing in games called rubber banding, which you see in, like, Mario Kart, for example, which is basically, like, the game makes sure under the hood it's not stacking the deck too hard against you. So it'll actually go a little easier on you if you're uh, dying and dying and dying, which... Uh, I don't know, that isn't very scary at all. Saturday, the 18th of February, at 10.34pm. Evening, David. Calling you on Saturday night. Rilla is out with a friend of ours. I played a whole bunch of Resident Evil 4. I made it to the lake. I haven't yet investigated the lake, but I understand it to be... <laughs> not a friendly place. I really like the order of operations. I like, um, you know, I like this thing of finding neat turns of phrase that kind of characterize important things about the game. And one thing I might add to that sort of language is something about kind of battle geometry. Um, it's a classic way, I think, of understanding or running away from violence in video games is to recast it as a kind of abstraction. So in this game, for example, a lot of what your objective is is to manipulate Leon's body and through that the bodies of the, whatever, the zombie farmers to, you know, to kind of manipulate space so that your job of shooting people in the head repeatedly is easier. So maybe you run past them, you spin around, gaining yourself a bit of time because they're slow. Maybe you convince them to walk into a tripwire by positioning your body in the right place. Maybe you bottleneck them in a doorway so that they're easier to pick off, etc. Right? And so the horror of what you're doing, which is killing people, whatever they are, uh, is detuned into this kind of understanding of space and the manipulation of space. And so your actual activity is kind of business-like and distracts you from the potential horror of what you're doing. Uh, and that horror um, is presumably meant to reside either in the surface of the game, you know, exploding heads, uh, gore, evil monks getting injected with whatever that stuff is that's purple, 
kidnapped president's daughters, creepy gothic architecture, etc. Um, or it's meant to reside maybe in the sense of dread that the game is trying to build up around whether you're going to make it, right? Will you have enough bullets? Do you have enough health? How many farmers are around the next corner? And I think that dread does reside there. Uh, but I think the funny thing is that, that that particular kind of horror, that dread, doesn't operate at the narrative level. Um, I'm not thinking, will Leon survive? Will he suffer? Will he fail in his mission to rescue Ashley? I'm thinking, will I, Pippin, sitting on the sofa in my basement, have to restore a saved game, right? And that's not the worst punishment in the world, as you say. Like, the game's kind of kind in terms of its checkpointing um, and saves. Uh, but I think it's this this worry that I have that I'm going to find a situation where I just cannot get through it. I'm just not good enough at games. <laughs> and I'll have to tell you, David... I'm sorry, I wasn't good enough at games. And so, in a sense, the true horror is a bit like a flashback to not being good at sports uh, at school. That's a deep cut. Sunday, the 19th of February, at 5.17 a.m. Monday. The 20th of February, at 1.54pm. Hey Pippin, it's David. I have had a productive morning of doing my taxes. I'm a good American. And uh, getting a bit ahead of where you are on Resident Evil 4. And just so you know, you know, this is a judgment-free zone. Uh, I'm never going to judge your game abilities or uh, <laughs> anything like that. <clears throat> but I think, you know, what we're saying is that Resident Evil 4 is maybe a bit of an odd duck for horror, because what's sort of happening on screen is maybe not the scariest, and it's not like what we talked about in Mirror Layers that, you know, I said facetiously, maybe we're just too manly. Nothing moves us. We're not allowed to feel. Um, but rather, there's this thing going on in Resident Evil 4 where, for me, I feel the most dread or unease in the actual item management or, like, am I buying the right weapons and, you know, this very video game absurdity that most of my inventory, this unseen attache case, is filled with eggs, fish, and grenades, and some ammo. Uh, and so you have to sort of pick your battles, right? And... Uh, it's so dumb the number of save points I've made as if I'm ever going to go back and be like, oh, you know what, I should have sold the handgun and maybe gotten this other thing, and then I'll, you know, invest a ton of uh, pesetas, I guess the currency is called, into investing it. I mean, there's just so much video gaminess going on here that, you know, the actual monsters, uh, which there are starting to be some of now, these sort of tentacly things popping out of the farmers' heads, and you realize all that icky aiming that it's asking of you that sort of can never be precise. Suddenly it's going to become very important to be precise because you have to sort of blast away at these tentacles coming out of the neck holes. Hey, that rhymes, I think, um, out of these poor farmers' um and you're infected, too. I mean, there's, like, a lot of stuff going on in the story that I guess is meant to ratchet up the tension. Um, but mainly I'm just like, do I still need the shotgun? Uh, which is a sort of, you know, a horror that you were started talking about with your experience with sports growing up that 
plays on things unknowingly in our heads. Um, and I guess it has to do with a lot of our baggage with video games. Um, and nothing says we're playing a video game more than the sequence I just went through, which was finding not one but two areas behind waterfalls. Something I've never experienced in real life, but I'm always expecting to do in uh, in video games. So there's no doubt about it, Resident Evil 4 is a video game. Uh, I guess just give me a progress update. I mean, I don't want this to just be a reportage of what we're seeing and doing, but um, let me know what's on your uh, mind, your tentacles, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about this sports injury. Like, what's going on here? Monday, the 20th of February, at... 4.23 p.m. Hey David, Pippin here, reporting in on my sports injury. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure where you got sports injury from, but I did suffer a badly sprained confidence at age 13 or 14, playing cricket at school for a, you know the worst team at the school. I managed to play the worst on the worst team, and I kind of rehabilitated my, my feelings about sports playing sports um, by playing a lot of netball in my 20s um, but you know sports are hard man my progress update is that I have made it a ways through I made it past the lake monster which apparently is called Del Lago uh, which is a lot like the giant crocodile alligator from the horror movie Lake Placid harpooned that one from a boat a lot of times and then after a bunch more Spanish farmers in the rain and some cave systems made it to another boss fight with El Gigante, who is essentially the troll from Lord of the Rings. And you fight him in this very small area, and he's very big, so it's pretty hard to get away from him. And because it's a boss fight, it has, I guess, different mechanics to, to what you're used to. It's a lot more action-packed, running around, trying to shoot him, uh, him trying to kill you with his giant fists or hitting you with a tree, etc. And for whatever reason, I ran out of literally all of my ammunition, my flashbangs, my grenades, etc. Uh, the dog helped me. That dog that we rescued from a trap at the beginning of the game did indeed come back and helps to distract El Gigante. And I found myself with absolutely nothing except my knife, stabbing him in the knee and then running between his legs <laughs> until eventually the tentacle thing popped out of his back. And then I had to hack away at that, too, like an unruly weed until he eventually died. I was kind of amazed that I was able to take him down with the knife. Um, but I think that tells you something about how the game is also designed to allow for that situation. And the big thing I thought in my recent play is just how much this game really reads as horror in the tradition of kind of gory comedy, like uh, movies like Army of Darkness, right, where there's this intentional, silly action movie dialogue going on, you know, where's everyone going, bingo, uh, or the surreality of the merchant who just pops up in all of these random locations to sell you stuff or buy stuff. Uh, but also, you know, the treasures, this whole thing of finding a beer stein and selling it to the merchant, the procedural comedy of something like my battle with El Gigante, with no ammo, stabbing him in the knee. And we've said before that laughing at a horror game is maybe a way of covering up discomfort and showing an unwillingness to engage in something really scary. But maybe one of the functions of horror is just to make us laugh. Monday, the 20th of February, at 8.20 p.m. 
all this business about comedy and horror. Did we know this was going to be the chocolate and peanut butter themes of this season? Um, thinking about one of the functions of horror is to maybe make us laugh. I mean, for my part, uh, I've never once laughed at Resident Evil 4 while playing it. Um, but I think it's true, like, I'm taking it about as seriously as it takes itself. And, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to talk a little bit about the just super strange tone. I mean, I wonder if you were to strip out all the dialogue, how it would land? Um, because there's just this sort of, like, at least it's translated into uh, English, it's just super bizarre, affected machismo. Um, I think I mentioned early on, like, well, I made a note early on, um, you can go into like a shack and you see a woman uh, pinned to the uh, woman's corpse pinned to the wall with a pitchfork and you can look at it and Leon I guess says to himself hmm guess there's no sex discrimination here um, and I think if we didn't have all that stuff or if we didn't have <laughs> the dialogue uh, it would all read so much differently so, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious, like, are you laughing as you're playing it, or is it just sort of like, once you step away, you realize, like, man, it's kind of kind of silly, some of this stuff. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, I think, like, there's just, like, the game is such a magpie, as you said. Like, there's definitely something to just, like, wanting to feel like you're in your favorite movie or movies and knowing there's no real stakes and nothing bad can happen to you. Um... You know, it's inherently understandably fun to feel like you're just you're strapped into those uh, experiences and memories and associations you have with all those things. But I think just like what we're hitting on and finding out and relearning over and over here is like for horror to be more effective, um, we have to know certain seatbelts aren't on. So as I know we're barreling towards the end of the tape here soon, what seatbelts do you wish you could rip out of by Pippin? Be safe. Please do wear your seatbelts, by the way. Be responsible. Bye. Tuesday, the 21st of February, at 1.34 p.m. Yeah, seatbelts is a nice way to put it. I like that. Um, and although I guess I'm, I'm loath to redesign a game that's already so beloved, it is interesting to think about the distance between Resident Evil 4 as it stands and a version of it that might be scary on purpose. And I think in a lot of ways, the idea of seatbelts um, is really, again, this idea of ambiguity in horror games being so important. Because the seatbelts seat that we're kind of talking about here are, are all things that give you the sense that you know what's going to happen. Things that signal that this is kind of like an action movie, uh, like, you know, the dialogue, the absurd story, the exploding head kicks. Um, and then also the stuff that signals very much, you know, this is a game um, like the merchant or the treasures that you can find or the medallions uh, hanging from trees that you shoot for a reward. And Resident Evil 4 without those things might start to be kind of intimidating, I think, because you'd be left with this genuinely grim village uh, where people are clearly torturing and killing other people. Uh, these pallid villagers who stand around blankly until they see you coming uh, and then come for you and who greatly outnumber you while you have limited resources, like, that's starting to be a recipe for something uncomfortable. 
And I think if the narrative and dialogue weren't there, so you didn't know what the point of any of this was, that would accentuate the horror, right? I think a lot of the more successful horror movies lean on this idea that you don't know why things are happening. Um, and so, for instance, if you were just a tourist visiting the area, say, and not some kind of super agent who can suplex zombies, that might well improve things in, term in terms of being scared, right? Not in terms of it being a successful action game. And, you know, that scenario where you're a tourist, um, bewildered by the, the actions of the world, makes me think of things like The Hills Have Eyes, um, which is a, a pretty great horror movie, uh, or maybe a less-known horror movie like um, In Fear, which is an Irish one uh, about tourists <laughs> who uh, get into trouble in the woods. Um, and then, of course, we've played long enough now that we've, we've found Ashley, the president's daughter, upstairs in the church, and, and we rescue her, and now the rest of the game does involve a kind of escort mission where we have to make sure that she stays intact and I do think that this contributes quite a lot to the experience of playing, um, you know, putting aside the sexist language and, um, <laughs> and the sexist everything else about her character, really. Um, I think maybe the most notable thing is the stay follow command that you can issue so that she'll either stay where she is or, or kind of stick to your back, which leads to scenarios that I found pretty compelling. Uh, like I had her wait in the bell tower of the village while I walked around kind of killing everyone in the village who would otherwise try and harm her. But there was this passion where I would go out, kill somebody, run back to make sure she was okay, and then go back out, kill more people, uh, which is condescending to her and her ability to look after herself, but which did feel like something, right? Uh, how's your Ashley experience going in our waning moments? Tuesday, the 21st of February, at 3.30 p.m. Oh, you want to talk condescending? Uh... Early on, with Ashley at my side, you have the ability, um, as I did, to stash her in the first available dumpster, uh, and then later to give the all clear, you whistle to her to come like she's a dog. It's um, pretty, pretty gross stuff. Uh, putting that aside, I mean... I've found, you know, you being there as her protector doesn't instill more fear or horror, but more like anxiety, paranoia, and tension. Like she sort of represents another element of panic. You know, you're you're collecting health power-ups for two now, um, like an expectant mother. And yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> is we also are about to, to stash this uh, exchange into another filled tape here. Um, I guess just parting thoughts, you know, like there's a lot of goofiness in this game, and I don't think it's intended as satire or a statement, but it's there. I mean, you know, a recent moment I just uh, played through is you, you shoot your way into a church, and then you have the option to steal all the money and... Uh, you know, you can do so without any consequence or qualms. Um, you know, these individual moments add up. And I think, like, when every character is chewing the scenery, it's just really hard as the player to be shaking in your boots. Um, that said, you know, I think, like, the most effective thing going on in horror in Resident Evil 4 is the sort of audio, um, the sounds, you know, the, the music. Um... There's a lot going on there that's 
rather quite effective. You know, I think I mentioned it in an earlier message, like these sort of electric soundscapes where you know it's time to panic and that it's appropriate and that, you know, that's indeed the correct response. Like things just sort of click into place there. The rest of the time, it's just sort of like, hey, it's time to chill and you can poke around and steal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pillage, do all sorts of horrible uh, things uh, to further your quest. But, you know, for better or worse, like Resident Evil 4, I know we didn't get as far in as maybe either of us wanted to, but in the time allotted, I mean, you know, my understanding is like Resident Evil 4 is a bit of a Rosetta Stone. It's a major branch of game DNA and not just in horror. Um but maybe we'll recognize its fingerprints and other things from here. So, okay, Pippin, uh, maybe one of these days I'll get you to hold still, and we'll talk. Bye. Tuesday, the 21st of February, at 8.11 p.m. Hey, David. I apologize. I was out a bunch today, and I um, I just missed the call, uh, like I always do. My biggest takeaway with... Resident Evil 4, I think, is that it's it's a good game in the most traditional sense. And I get why it was influential in terms of action-adventure game design. It does that stuff well, uh, with a horror skin stretched gruesomely across its face, uh, but not disguising what it truly is. And I think I'd like to end on two specifics. One of them is very small. It's how much I liked the relationship between the introductory cutscene of the merchant and the subsequent play because he kind of comes up to this window of this building that you're in in a cutscene and says something to you i actually forget what and then he just walks away stage left or is it stage right i actually don't know which (laughs) which one you say and then you take control and you if you want to see the merchant you go out the door and you follow the way that he went and I, I know that that's incredibly simple, but I thought it was a, it's one of those rare cases where a cutscene feels like it melds with actual play, which is something I think that's very hard to accomplish. I think that that was lovely. And then the other thing is Leon and letters. Uh, it was already hilarious to me that Leon uh, will happily climb up a ladder, even like a three-story ladder, fine. But then will never climb down a ladder. He will always jump. <laughs> and so he will jump down two stories if he needs to. Uh, the bell tower is a good example. And it just, I don't understand why. I have these sort of hypotheses that they only had the one action button and they wanted to use it for pushing ladders down because that's an exciting kind of horror survival thing to do. Uh, but then there was no way to have a button for him to climb down a ladder. Uh, in more peaceful times, and so he just always drop, jumps like this action hero. And then the thing that happens on top of that is, once you're with Ashley, um, you will jump down a ladder, as is you know, as is your practice. But then she also cannot climb down ladders. I suppose they just didn't think that people climbing down ladders was part of this world anymore. It's almost like people can't. <laughs> and so she can't jump, she can't climb down the ladder, but because she is, of course, a damsel, she also cannot jump down the ladder unless you catch her. And so there's this whole mechanic of you jump down the ladder uh, area in a macho way and then wait and catch the poor the poor girl as she jumps down into your arms over and over again. 
Uh, and it's just so funny to me that I guess that idea emerges from these weird Byzantine paths that game design can sometimes take. Um, and you end up with these people who won't go down ladders. And I wonder how much of that actually accounts for the strange you know, accretion of other uh, game design elements in the in the game as well. Like, why are there those blue medallions in the trees, David? Final thought, if I were a tourist visiting the village and I were reviewing it on TripAdvisor, if I survived, I would give it zero stars out of a possible five. End of messages. Thank you for calling Game Thing. For more information, please hang up and dial GameThing.life. Goodbye.